This is episode 24. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Hazards Podcast. Back from a couple of weeks of intense winter storms that swept through California and dumped record amounts of rain and snow. And of course, the inauguration of a new president. Seems like just yesterday we kicked off our first one. And now look, we're up to episode number 24. Two dozen of these shows now in the can. Wow, they grow up so fast, don't they? Well, this time I'm turning the mic over to one of my colleagues, Monica Vargas. She wanted to talk about all things public information officer. So she's invited our other colleagues in the office to sit down for a team chat, you might say. They'll discuss things that both PIOs and non-PIOs alike can appreciate. Things like building and maintaining relationships, disaster preparedness, and experiences that each of them have gone through and the lessons they've learned as a result. So let's get started right now. Hello, everyone, to the All Hazards podcast. This is Monica Vargas. I am a public information officer here in the Office of Crisis Communications and Public Information. And what we're doing today is we're going to have a small chat with the Cal OES comms team and just have a really informal discussion, um, a look into our, our team and what we do here and some interesting stories that can maybe help all of the communicators and PIOs out there and even non-PIOs and communicators in the field or even in the private sector, take some lessons learned and some best practices that we've learned learned along the way here at Cal OES. So our team here at Cal OES, we are five public information officers and we have our chief and we have a deputy director, but we're keeping this conversation just to our PIO team where we usually work together side by side uh, when it comes to disasters. So it's pretty interesting as far as our team, you would think that working in a field such as at Cal OES, we're emergency managers by career, but lo and behold, we're not. We all have really interesting different backgrounds which make us form a good team. So I'm going to hand it over to Rob to introduce himself. Thanks, Monica. So I'm Rob Mayberry. Uh, I've been with Cal OES uh, a little bit over two years now, uh, and background, real short, is uh, in media relations in the private sector. Um, I did that for about 25 years. So uh, coming to uh, Cal OES has been challenging, it's been different, but my healthcare background has helped a, a lot in uh, the role that I play. All right, and our next information officer we have here in the room is John. Hey there, guys. So I'm Jonathan Goodell. I am the newest member of the PIO team. I've been at Cal OES for just over a year. I came to uh, Cal OES from newspaper business. I was a sports editor at the Elk Grove Citizen newspaper in Elk Grove, California for over a decade, where I mostly covered uh, high school sports, junior colleges, and professional sports, and made the transition here, and I've enjoyed it, and have uh, learned quite a bit in the short time that I've been here. 
Very cool. Thank you. And as far as myself, like I said, I'm Monica Vargas, and my background is kind of varied. I, I studied government, and I ended up here at Cal OES as an intern in legislative affairs, and I went on to be an analyst working in, at the executive level. Not a communicator by nature, but along the way, just in the field, you learn how to communicate with people from different backgrounds, and that, I feel, prepped me for transitioning into an information officer. I, I started as an information officer at the Department of Consumer Affairs, and I came back to Cal OES, where we are here, dealing with the day-to-day of our department and also the different disasters and emergencies and issues that come up. So most recently, uh, we had a training at this with the city of Folsom. They brought a conglomerate of different communicators, and that was what sort of prompted this podcast. We had a group, a very diverse group of communicators and specialists that wanted to hear from the Cal OES team what we do, what recommendations we have if there was a major disaster and how to communicate with the government, the public, and also the private partners. So we shared with them our best practices, lessons learned, stories, and so we're hoping to share the same here on this podcast. Just in the last year alone, we have, this team has worked on some very long uh, disasters and situations. Many of those you may have heard, some you may have not. But to us, every disaster or situation, whether it is high profile or not, we take it very seriously. And we try to keep the tools that we have kept and learned along the way in practice. For example, we have, we dealt with the Aliso Canyon gas leak, which was an extremely high profile event that was the gas leak in Southern California, and it made international news, and Cal OES was the lead on coordinating the joint information system, which was a vir- virtual communications uh, team with various departments. I'm curious, Monica, and how much of a percentage would you say we spend a, a year working disasters? It seems like a lot, just because they take a lot of time, but... In reality, how much time do you think we spend on disasters? I would say that totally varies on the season, the month, the year. Last year, if you guys remember, John wasn't here at that time, but we had the fires in Lake and Butte. So for two months solid, we were working on disasters. And this past December, it was pretty slow for us. Slow in a sense where we didn't have additional disasters and and added to our day-to-day work. And we should know that most of that slow time, we're usually preparing for the next disaster or just getting things organized in in our own shop so that um, we are ready to go. See, I didn't get to experience the Butte and Valley fires. Could you guys just give myself and some of the listeners out there just some insight into what those type of disasters consisted of for you guys? Well, I mean, for for me, that was my real... um, that that was kind of like a baptism by fire, not to have a pun there. But um, I was uh, went up to Lake County. I was called. Um, actually, I was up in uh, Calaveras County visiting friends, and uh, got the call from our chief. Um, <clears throat> needed to head down to over to Lake County because um, it was getting pretty bad. Um, went over there with one of our other PIOs at the time um, who was here, and. Uh, it was um, very interesting because um, I walked into that, and the, at the time, uh, the PIO that was there 
she was basically just overwhelmed with all everything that was going on. It was a pretty, it was, it was a major disaster, and and so we just walked in there and started, um, got right to work. I was there, uh, literally, uh, working twelve to fifteen hour shifts a day for two weeks straight, and then um, got relieved, and that's when Monica actually stepped in. For my experience for the Valley Fire in Lake County, I came in kind of at the at when it was at its highest and I was a little bit disconnected from everything that was going on because I was out of the office at the time but what was really helpful for me going into a situation that I knew was serious it was busy and it was a major disaster it was the mindset that I had of clearing my mind and being prepared and being ready to just offer assistance to the county and also I checked in with my supervisor to say, hey, what is the situation? What is my role going to be there? And uh, what will they need for me? And is there anything else, else I should know? So I went into it, and I, it was not anything I had experienced before. And it was a good learning experience because it was so different and so major. But what I found was a tip to being successful is to just offering my assistance in anything I can do to help that county, to help their operations, whether it was giving the JIC manager a break and taking over some things for her, or it was just getting to know who was in which seat, who was handling donations, who was handling the media, who was handling the web. It was just getting acquainted with everyone and letting them know that Cal OES was there to help. And also... Just looking around the room, if there's anything that looked like needed help, if the I would check the printers or I would be monitoring the media and letting everyone know of something they needed to know about. But it was overall just being there, ready to assist. And though it was not a conventional environment because it was a casino, the focus was on the goal and the mission to help the county. And, and yeah, that, that's a really good word, um, assistance. You know, a lot of times I think people think, you know, the state's here, we're coming in to rescue, save the day kind of thing. Um, we're really relying on the, um, the knowledge of the, the count, the people that are there in that county living there. We need them just as much as they need us uh, to help you know, support. But, um, you know, we need to know what's going on in this county. Who, what, what are the politics? What's going on that we need to be aware of in order to do our job correctly? So um, it really is, uh, you know, we're working together. It's a, it's a partnership between the county and the state and the, and the locals. So we can provide good support and assistance. You know, it's interesting because our roles obviously vary depending on the disaster. And uh, for, for me, my first... Um, experience was the Aliso Canyon and obviously that was much different from what you guys experienced at Butte and Valley so since you guys are both part of the Butte and Valley fires and also Aliso Canyon how would you compare the differences in your roles for, for both disasters? Well like you said every the way that we support depends on the type of disaster the community and those that we'll be working with so when I went to Lake County and the Valley Fire, the JIC, the Joint Information Center, was huge. 20-plus PIOs from all over the state, and the Emergency Operations Center was also huge. It took over basically a ballroom, two ballrooms at a casino. And at the same time, the Butte Fire was burning in Calaveras County, and I ended up being sent to assist in Calaveras County. And there were three PIOs and the county had one PIO 
and it was a really relatively smaller emergency operations uh, center office. And this was a little bit past the fire that had after the fire had burned, but they were still in full recovery mode and extremely busy. But it was a lot smaller. And also to note is the approach. One thing that I always remember from Calaveras compared to Aliso and the Valley Fire is the way you communicate with the public. So in Aliso, we were using technology, the internet, you, uh, live streaming, and that reached tons of people. In Lake County, we used a lot of Twitter, Facebook, and radio, TV. Went to Calaveras County, those technologies were not the best way to communicate with the public. When I went in there, they said something about going to a trap line, and I had no idea what a trap line was. And what I learned was that community is a very different community because it's rural, and you can't, and you should not assume that you're communicating the same way with everyone in every single county and city. Calaveras, they use a little bit more traditional ways of com communicating like putting information at grocery stores, at the post office, going door to door, more direct communication, because you're not going to reach people via Twitter. So what we did as a PIO supporting the Valley Fire was helping intake media calls, media requests, and giving the JIC manager or the lead PIO the information they needed to respond to that, helping them to know what type of information needed to go on the website, and also helping them to make sure that their public information line was up and running and functioning. In Calaveras County for the Butte Fire, a lot of what we did was almost acted as a consultant and a resource to that county. They were in full recovery mode trying to get information out to the public and so we offered a lot of our experience uh, and helped them understand uh, how Facebook can work if they chose to to try to grow it. Well, you know, it, what's interesting is in each of these incidents that we are involved in, you know, one of our primary duties is to go in there and support and assist in setting up a JIC, which stands for a Joint Information Center. Um, and so, and what's unique, amazing to me is that when we go into these places and we set up a, a JIC, um, which is basically a hub of information um, coming in and going out, um, it's it, it's just it is truly a machine, um, and it's what's amazing is how how it works. You know the information we're gathering information, um, scrubbing it, looking at making sure you know what what we need to send out and what is accurate uh, to go out to the public in a timely and um, you know, correct fashion. So, and that that is really the the um, the sole purpose of of our job is to make sure that the the public is being accurately and timely informed. So, and it's, it's just what's so interesting is all the pieces within the JIC that are involved to get that process going. Um, it, it takes you know, it, it, depending on the incident, obviously, a lot of people sometimes to. Uh, monitor the media, which I think we'll discuss a little bit later. You know, the importance of social media, but you know, to take a look at that and um, and bring it in, determine what's rumors, what's accurate, um, and what information needs to get out to the public. When you say too, Aliso Canyon was so complex. I mean, if you guys remember, we got we arrived in Los Angeles, I think on a 
on a Sunday or Monday in, in the press conference to announce that the gas leak had been stopped it wasn't until Thursday. So we were actually in town ready at any minute to produce a press conference and get the word out. And really, we had four unknown days of when it was going to happen. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, kind of as we sat there and coordinated in a hotel lobby or a conference room. Aliso Canyon was kind of it was a very unique um, incident. Uh, you know, it, it, I w- remember uh, my chief coming in and telling me to you know look up on social media and in the news um, information about um, this gas leak that was going on in the, near the town of Porter Ranch in Southern California. Well, I, I had never even heard of Porter Ranch, so um, started you know digging for information. Was you know pulling up three maybe four stories um, on it a day. And then, uh, just to show you, that, share with you the power of social media, um, one of the news agencies down there, or, or even it might have been an, uh, an individual, got some some video of the gas leak in infrared pic- images, um, and published that, uh, sent that on on social media, and it just went viral. Within you know 24, 40 hours, from you know three news articles a day. It, it um, went up to like 300 to 500. It was, and it went, you know, national, international. So the information had just spread. And at that time, I think we had determined, you know, this is, this is blown up and we need to, you know, really pay attention to this. And um, that's when, you know, our agency gathered all the other agencies together and, um, and basically formed a joint information center to gather information. Also too, what was unique about that incident was, it wasn't. Um, it, it was really ran and operated. It, the SoCal Gas at the time was um, really the lead, which is a little bit different from um, a lot of incidents we have um, going into. You know, usually it's a state agency taking the lead, or or, or a local um, law enforcement or fire uh, agency taking the lead. Um, SoCal really took responsibility for this incident and was managing it. So yeah, it was a, a, a different type of uh, incident that we've had to deal with. Yeah, that was my very first one. It was it was really fun to kind of just see how it all came together and then to be there on site and doing the advanced work of, you know, walking the premises, knowing where the entrances, where the exits. You know, as a former media member, you just show up when you get the press release, you you get your interviews, you get your video, you know, you do all that kind of work and you don't see all the behind the scenes work that goes into actually putting it on the press conference. So it's kind of neat to be on the other side of the fence now and be able to see it firsthand. Was it chaotic for you? It it was in the sense that, you know, I was on the job for almost what less than a month, and so I'm seeing this all kind of form together. And it was it wasn't chaotic, but it was it was just it was fun to kind of see it all come together, and seeing everybody work together, and there was no egos. Um, everybody kind of checked those out the door and said, "We have a job to do. Let's get the word out. Let's get this you know put behind us." Some of the best practices that we keep in the back of our head and in practice that I think helps us get through these complex and ever-changing situations is that we like to keep our situational awareness among the team pretty high. So we have a group email, we'll group text. If something changes, everyone already knows we're not having to play catch-up on the current status of the situation. And I think that really helps. When we did the town hall for Eliso, I again came back from a vacation which apparently I like to take vacations. And (laughs) so Rob had a doctor's appointment, quote, unquote. And so I had to fill in for him. 
so I was already on top of things because I, I was involved in all of the emails. And so just having that situational awareness helped the transition into Rob's role so that he can go to his doctor's appointment uh, made that really easy. So I attribute the situational awareness and communication among the team as something that's very helpful for us to operate as smoothly as possible. Well, that that is our background. We are supposed to be pretty good communicators, so we better be communicating between ourselves. Right? But as we mentioned, that's not all our background. You're healthcare. I'm government. John well, is a sports guy. I did go guy. to school for communication, so I, I I try to think I can at least communicate somewhat, somewhat good. But you know, sometimes Monica lets me know otherwise. <laughs> I will let you know clearly. <laughs> and so we keep talking about these big incidents and what has helped us, what we use, the tools that we use. So we talked about Aliso Canyon, major international gas leak, but we also use the same tools and the same mindset for even little events. So we had a brownie troop come to visit our office and it was about seven, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And we operated the same exact way we would at Aliso Canyon. So we created an an agenda. We created the roles. Everyone knew who was doing what at what time. We prepped our materials. We let the other members outside of our team know what they would be doing and at what time. And we even kept our, our mobile radios on so that we can talk with each other. And those radios is something that we use for major events too where they're portable so we have them clipped onto our belt and we can talk to each other if like if you're in another room so that you don't have to text you don't have to call it's just instant communication into your ear i've never been more intimidated talking to (laughs) seven or eight year old girls because they were so smart and intuitive and asking such great great questions and you sit there staring at them, you can just see the wheels turning in motion as you're sitting there trying to talk to them about the warning center here. Well, you got to get on the good side of those brownies because someday they will be Girl Scouts and they hold the cookies. And then someday after that, they'll be the managers, the directors, the governors of the state. That's right. So I just want to back up here. You know, I, one of the th- first incidents I ever um, went on was uh, the Refugio uh, oil spill down in Santa Barbara County. Um, which was a, a very unique incident because uh, the lead um, uh, incident commander uh, or commanding um, agency was the Coast Guard. Very different um, the way it, it operated that incident from all the other ones I've been on. Um, you talk about you know the, the military does operate a certain way, very uh, strict you know rules to go by. And it was very interesting to see how they operate um, and how sometimes um, trying to get information out can be a little bit slow it's just because uh, of all the hoops you have to go through through the military. So that was a very interesting incident, um, you know, but uh, again, a good experience to go through. You know, for me, um, it's funny because we deal with obviously a lot of serious matters here in disasters, emergencies, but for me, one of the most fun I've had was uh, here at Cal OES, we do something called open house, where we allow the public to get a basically behind the scenes look into what we do here on an everyday uh, for our everyday business operations. They're able to come in uh, through our big gates here and into our doors and check out some of the uh, facilities and uh, rooms that we have here. And 
I was the lead on the event that we were doing for a media press conference. Um, and what started off as having two speakers turned into four speakers. And it was a lot of moving parts for about two straight months. And at the end of the event, um, we were able to turn it in, uh, turn it as a separate product where you put a basically a one to two minute video together of kind of recapping the entire event. So um, even though, you know, we do deal with a lot of serious issues, we're also able to have a lot of fun with this job as well. What would you say is the, you enjoy most about this position, John? Interaction, interacting with people. Um, obviously, as a public information officer, we deal with the community, um, different types of uh, media, and then just a lot of our colleagues. And I think just a lot of the different interaction and um, not taking ourselves too seriously. You know, we're able to um, have a lot of fun and also um, take care of our business as needed. So it's day to day. It's a lot of fun. What about you, Monica? I enjoy the variety of what we do every day. I feel we don't really know exactly what the day will look like. And 99% of the time, that is a really good thing because you're always being put in new environments, new situations, and learning new things and meeting new t- new people. And that is where I found that I grow the most when I'm making those relationships and when I'm learning new skills or learning how other people do things. I, you know, I would have to agree with that because um, I'd say that's uh, something I really enjoy about this position as well. You know, if, if you're a person that um, wants to come to a, a desk every day or do the same thing every day, this is not the job for you. I will say you know, I get up every morning and come to work and never knowing what to expect. Um, of course, disasters, emergencies can happen middle of the night, any time during the day. And um, at that time, when that when that um, alarm is sounded, we, um, you know, have to stand up and, and go to the call, you know, take the call. So, you know, the one thing when I came here, I didn't want to be kind of labeled as that as a as a writer, you know, as a just focus on the blog, because I have that journalism background. And it's been a lot of fun to come and actually try these different roles. Obviously, we're doing a podcast now. I never thought I'd be doing a podcast. We've done some video work, done some public speaking. These are all roles that encompass what we do as public information officers. And I don't think you really understand it or appreciate it until you're in the actual role. But you're such a good writer. Well, guilty, but <laughs> you know the, that's true. But um, and if you got and if you haven't read any of John's blogs, go to oesnews.com oh, and check and check him out. He does he does some good. good you can also good stuff. find him on YouTube on the Cal OES YouTube channel. Yeah. See, they like to make fun of me because I do my little point on the video camera now, or I have this little wink. So these are little things that you'd never appreciate or picked up on until you actually have colleagues that like to make fun of you. Yeah, and just to let you know, we've, we've actually started doing a lot of that um, utilizing. Um, it's, it's nice to be able to do some use some different tools, and, and we've been doing a lot more video technology and and uh, utilizing that. So getting some good practice at it. So going back to the nature of this environment and how it can change, one day it might be pretty predictable. The next day you might be told, hey, something just happened, get deployed within an hour. So most people who have seen the Cal OES team will notice that we all have carry a backpack. And one of the questions that is pretty common that we get asked is, what is in your backpack that the Cal OES team is always seen carrying? So 
John, what's in your backpack? Well, the first one, obviously, is your computer. you got to have your computer, all your necessary cords for hookups. But the big thing for me, of course, because we're on the road a lot, you never know if you're going to have time to eat. you got to have lots of snacks. What's your favorite <laughs> you snack? Oh, my favorite snack? Probably just a protein bar. Dry just Cheerios? Dry Cheerios. Are, that's popular in the Goodell household, yes. Um, also, got to have lot, lots of mints, you know, pens, notepads, just all the uh, necessities to get you through the day. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> wow, you want to know what I, I, I have? Almonds. I have. I have nuts in my bag. So, um, <laughs> what about you, Rob? What's in your backpack? Your fancy backpack. Rob has the fanciest. Anyhow, backpack out of everybody, so, uh, so by the way. I, you know, I, of course, like John, I keep some snacks in there. But um, I think you know the most important thing uh, or that I found useful is um, you know having a, a, a hot spot. Um, there have been some instant times when we've gotten to a place where we cannot connect to, to internet, and um, it's it's been difficult to do that. And so, just being able to have that ability to do that is really important. The other thing is, and I know it sounds so silly and so simple, just having a USB stick. You know, trying to get information to um, some place you know, to download it and run it over to someone else to get it out is super important. So. Yeah, you know, those those couple things I keep in there. The hotspot is so true. I don't know how many times I've used it where I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to connect here or how am I going to do this? And I'll, oh, yeah, I got the hotspot. I didn't even know what a hotspot was until I got here. <laughs> My so. backpack is always extremely heavy. I'm known to be an overpacker, mm-hmm. but I think for this job, it comes in handy. Any piece of equipment, cord, connector, adapter, clip, whatever it is, I keep in my backpack and it's come in handy. So I even have an old school mouse. I have hand sanitizer. I have Advil, some candy. Bag for your boots. I don't know what you meant about the shoes. When we were in San Luis Obispo, you had a whole shoe bag full of just shoes. It's because we went shopping. (laughs) (laughs) All right, go ahead. So in my backpack, I also keep some makeup because you never know when you're going to have to go on camera and you don't have your lipstick handy or your face might be shiny. So that's what I like to keep because we all know that the camera is always not very nice at times. But sometimes you don't have time to do that, Monica. You got to get right on camera. And I've seen you. You, you go for I it. I keep lipstick in my jacket pocket too. <laughs> not going to lie. Uh, I also keep a pair of flats, I think, for... A lot of us like to wear heels during the day and day to day, but sometimes you just have to walk really fast or run. So I keep a pair of shoes I can change right into, whether I'm at my desk or I'm in my car and just change my shoes and be able to walk as fast as I can, which is not very fast. (laughs) Disasters are usually local and it often almost always involves very many agencies. It could be local, it could be private nonprofit, federal government, other state agencies. And that's a pretty unique situation to be put into as a public information officer because you have people that are getting their situational awareness, their briefings, et cetera, from their own source. And then when you end up working together, there can be a time period where you're kind of warming up to each other or you don't know each other. So I wanted to hear from you two on how you two deal with those types of situations, which are pretty common because obviously we don't know everyone in the world. We don't know every PIO and we get to know them through these experiences. But how do you break the ice or how do you build that trust with those other PIOs and agency reps when you are at a disaster? 
or even just a meeting. When you're thrown into a situation, um, you know, a disaster, an emergency or incident, um, it, it causes you to become close. I think it's a, a, from my experience, you know, working with these other PIOs, you get to know them pretty good. I mean, you're working 12 hour, 15 hour shifts. Um, you see them at their, um, their best and you also see them at their worst. So, um, you know, they're tired. They've been working long days. People are grumpy. So you get to know these people and you get to know what their strengths are, their weaknesses are. And, um, I think that's the one thing, you know, we've, um, valued and learned is how to network and, um, who to call on when, um, we most need them. Um, you know, something, something that's interesting is going back to the refugio, the refugio oil spill, um, you know, working, uh, with, uh, the military as, uh, the coast guard as, uh, the incident command, um, agency, um, you know, it, we are very used to getting information out very quickly. We don't have a lot of um, um, stipulations we have to go through to get information out. Whereas, you know, obviously the military does. There's, there's uh, rules that they have to go through. And so it was um, what to us might take um, getting a, a picture or photo out to the public of, of what's going on. You know, pictures say a thousand words. And we were trying to get some pictures out of the oil spill, um, what was going on at the beach. People wanted to see it um, because they weren't allowed to go onto the beach. And, um, you know, the Coast Guard, it was taking them, you know, 24, 48 hours to get information out. Um, And, you know, they had to vet it, look at it, and make sure it was what they wanted to send out. Um, That was a hard, uh, very difficult for me because, you know, I think what, what kind of came to head on that was we started seeing pictures from the public out there um, getting posted. So basically what we had was old news. And when the Coast Guard started seeing that, um, you know, it speeded things up a little bit. Um, they made some changes and to their to the, the joint information system and how we were processing it inside the joint information system. And things improved greatly and we started getting information out. So just you know, you know, bringing it to the incident commander's attention and letting them know this is what's happening, you know, it allows them, once they have that information, then they can make changes. And that's exactly what we did. We saw, you know, information getting out. Wouldn't you say too, it's all about, for us, it's a lot, it's it's trust and respect. Like you said, we're with these people, sometimes long hours, Um, you know, at the end of the day, you're tired, you're cranky. Um, But Again, at the end of the day, you have to respect the person that you're working with. We're all professionals. You have to respect that they're going to do their job efficiently and effectively and trust that they're going to be able to, um, you know, basically hold up their end of, of their bargain, so to say. Trust, trust is huge. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's a big part. John, I'm also interested to hear how your transition was into this environment because you came from an office where you had your own office with an actual door, which you don't have now. And you're the editor of the sports section, so you kind of had a lot of independence. So going from that to having to go into these situations where you're working with tons of different people from tons of different agencies, what has worked or helped you to work in those type of environments? Because it's completely different than what you were used to. Well, if I could put it in sports terms, I basically went from being a tennis player to a football player. I went from basically an individual sport to now I'm on a team sport and working with all of you fine folks, you have to rely on everybody. 
and some days you've got a lot of stuff on your plate and you need somebody to help pick up the slack. And um, some days you may not be as busy and you see one of your teammates that need a little bit of extra help and you know, you're willing to pick up that slack as well. So I think um, in this in this profession, you have to be willing to adapt and adjust to lots of different situations, a lot of different people. And it's, uh, it's a lot of it's what makes it a lot of fun. So like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of the main reasons that we wanted to do this for all of you was to share with you some of what we've learned and what has helped us in hopes that it can help you in your job as a communicator or an analyst or whatever it may be, because there's usually a common thread in some of these best practices that can be applied to any job that you're in or any situation, whether it's from an international disaster or it's a brownie troop. So I wanted to ask you, Rob, what are your favorite tools that help you be successful and what are some tips that you have for others out there? Um, I would have to say that the tools that I find most, most useful, um, first off, is my phone. And not just, the, not just the fact that you can use it as a communicator device, but um, it's, such a, it's a, such a versatile tool. I mean, you have a camera on there. Um, you know, nowadays, you know, like I said, a picture is, is worth a thousand words. You know, um, having that ability to get images out um you can do video there's a lot of apps out there that uh, are free that you can utilize to um, do video um, and uh, along that lines you know, i think an- another tip that i would say is for pios stay on top of the social media what's going on in social media um, you know you're not you don't necessarily want to just because something's trendy don't necessarily um, utilize that. Uh, it, it, it can be to your detriment. Um, stick with the solid um, uh, pieces of social media out there that are good um, ways of getting information out. And what was your other question? <laughs> what tips can you share? Um, for this position, you got to be flexible. you got to be able to turn at a moment's notice and uh, do something different. Um, like I said, you never know when... Uh, a disaster can happen, uh, incident can happen any day, night, time, and so just be ready to go. For me, Jonathan, this is John. I, one of the tips I would like to provide is just be willing to to learn from others. I think we all feel comfortable knowing that we do a, a good job at being public information officers, but sometimes you'll look at somebody else's work, you'll read a headline, you'll see something they do on video or the way they interact with people. And I think it's important just to maybe take bits and pieces from what people do and incorporate them into your own style. And, um, you know, don't just check your ego. It's a, it's a really a fun profession. Um, there are times where, again, you have to be serious, but um, it's it's really worth it if you kind of just sit back and li- listen to your teammates and and work together and learn from from others. So I take it you go home in the evenings feeling good about yourself. Uh, yeah, I try to. Yeah, I I think after um, each day that you're at the office, you leave hopefully feeling like you accomplished something. I think for us, we do so much throughout the day that um, by the time you get home, you look back on it and say, you know what, I I feel like I did something worthwhile today. What are your favorite tools that you use? Well, Rob stole my idea about the phone because I think it's almost the most underrated tool. And I don't mean, I just, it's seriously because you don't realize 
there was an incident where I was out in um, Tuolumne County doing a tree removal project, and I had this nice fancy camera, probably like a three thousand dollar camera, and I forgot that it was in around my shoulder, and I'm using my cell phone to take photos, and. I think that just shows you the importance of how much our phones, we can use them for anything. I use them for a recorder, for when I'm doing interviews, for photos, even videos. Um, so it really is an underrated tool, especially in this line of work. Absolutely. One of my favorite tools is a backup charger. Because if you get stuck in a field in the field somewhere or like you're in an avalanche or whatever, your phone is not going to last very long. So having a really strong, durable backup charger is super important because you never know when power is going to go out, where you're going to be. You're going to be stuck in an airport for 12 hours, and you know how it is trying to find an outlet at an airport. They're really hard to come by at times. That, to me, is super important. And I also think shared drives are very helpful, especially when you're working with people from different agencies because you all have different emails, different systems, different tools that you are using day to day. But if there's just one place everyone can access files, that makes things a lot easier. Just a one-stop shop to download and save your documents. As far as things that I've learned along the way that I would like to share with everyone else, the relationships that you build along the way, whether it's a disaster or just a meeting or someone you happen to me in the lobby can be very important because we can all learn something from someone or we may need a resource someone else has or we may be the resource that someone else needs. Those relationships are very important to having your network of people you can rely on when you need them and vice versa. One thing I learned the hard way when I was an analyst was the whole shoe situation. I got a really bad blister on my feet because (laughs) we were in the middle of a very busy time during the 2007 fires and I got some amazing blisters on my feet because I wanted to stay in heels and I didn't have any other extra shoes. And funny story, I ended up having to finally find a solution and I asked one of the secretaries that I was friends with here in the department to let me borrow her shoes. So to avoid that, I keep pairs of shoes in my trunk, in my desk drawer, and in my backpack. Well, since we're talking about lessons learned, you know, a couple of weeks ago during the, the January storms, um, I was sent out to do um, some get some photos of the the river rising, and it was storming that day, and I didn't have waterproof gear. That's a lesson learned. I got to get me, myself some waterproof gear. That sounds cold. I, I came back soaked and cold, and yeah. So I'm gonna go to Walmart and spend a few bucks and get some waterproof gear. There you go. How about you, John? What have you learned? It sounds like we all have clothes problems because I think a handful of times now I've had to change my clothes before I've gone on air because I don't have the right shirt on or the right branding or whatever it may be. And the joke around the office is now I'm on camera wearing a jacket indoors because I forgot to write the, wear the correct shirt. So lesson learned, I can now keep a Cal OES shirt in my truck and uh, I'm always ready when needed. Yeah, it's kind of weird when you see someone wearing a rain jacket indoors. Yeah, it happens. (laughs) So, all right. Well, thanks, guys, for this team chat. Thank you. We've all had a lot of really cool and interesting and funny, challenging experiences. And our goal is to always share what we're learning along the way with everyone else. 
and we're also always open to hear what what works for you guys and things that we can learn from you let's continue to build those relationships when we see each other out in trainings meetings etc and don't forget to follow us at oesnews.com we should also mention that um you know there's only three of us talking right now but there is a fourth pio and um, sean boyd who is no longer with us okay um <laughs> r.i.p sean boyd does sean boyd in the okay. house so i'm then taking hold, hold his desk and, and then mention that mention that about sean that he's right here next to us being quiet which is very unusual <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast. I'm Monica Vargas, Cal OES Public Information Officer, here with team members Rob Mayberry, Public Information Officer, Jonathan Goodell, Public Information Officer, and silently observing and producing in the room is Sean Boyd, Public Information Officer. (laughs) Thanks, Sean. Hope you had a good time listening to this, and see you the next one. So that's a wrap of episode number 24. If you have any suggestions for guests or topics, please be sure to leave a comment. We'd appreciate it. We'd also love it if you'd subscribe. And if you'd not, keep us to yourself. Tell your colleagues and friends about all hazards. Till next time, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.